0: Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed, and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io
1: forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how why and where consumers buy i'm your host ken ojuka This episode, I speak with Kara Golden, Founder and CEO of Hint Water. Kara speaks with us about lessons learned from working in the tech industry as an executive and how she became an accidental entrepreneur. She explains how she came up with the idea for Hint water and the initial steps she took to get it off the ground, which included getting it into whole foods even though she was still producing it in her own kitchen. Kara's advice stresses the importance of just getting started, questioning everything, learning quickly, and figuring it out along the way. We also got her to talk about her Wall Street Journal best-selling book called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. She shares how the book came about and why she was motivated to write it. Kara is a very accomplished physical products entrepreneur with a great story to tell. Enjoy. Yeah. Hey, Kara. Uh, thanks for joining me. I appreciate you uh, being here. Where are you calling from?
0: I am in Marin County, just over the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge.
1: Oh, yeah. I love that area. I have a I have a 12-year-old. That's his favorite uh, part of the country to visit. He loves San Francisco.
0: Oh, it is a nice part of And the weather is beautiful here right now. So it's, it's uh, very, very uh, conducive of the lifestyle I like to
1: lead, too. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's kick it off. We usually like to just ask you for a quote uh, that's been impactful to you. Do you have Do you have one that comes to mind that you could share with the listeners?
0: Yeah, I have so many quotes, but I think, in particular, one that has you know really kind of keeps popping up in my head almost every day um, is uh, the dots eventually connect. And I think that, particularly, kind of looking through you know, the challenging times of, uh, definitely the last year that so many of us have had that it's, uh, maybe some of the challenging times prior to the last year actually helped us prepare, certainly helped me prepare, uh, for, you know, even having more challenging times and being able to really stay
1: resilient during that time. Well, that's great. That's great. All right. So why don't you why don't we start by, you know, just telling us a little bit about yourself. I, you know, I know that you're, you're out there and a lot of people know who you are, but um, for the listener that, that doesn't know who you are, maybe tell us a little bit about your background.
0: Sure. Uh, well, I'm the I'm currently the founder and CEO of a water brand called Hint. Uh, actually, we do a little outside of water as well. Uh, we do sunscreen and some other personal care products. But we started 16 years ago uh, when. I had an issue with diet sweeteners. I didn't know I had an issue with diet sweeteners, but I was uh, addicted to a diet soda, Diet Coke in particular, where I was just drinking my diet soda thinking that I was doing the right thing because it was diet. I mean, what's wrong with diet soda? And when I finally woke up and realized that I had to do something about my health, I had developed terrible adult acne, my energy levels were low, and uh, I'd gained a bunch of weight over the course of multiple pregnancies, that's when I started looking at the food that I was consuming. And what I quickly realized was that it was less about what I was eating and possibly more about this other thing that had ingredients in it that I didn't understand, which was my diet soda. And so I did a quick swap of my drink for plain water. What I realized though, was that although I knew that I was supposed to be drinking more water, I didn't because it was boring. So I started slicing up fruit in my kitchen, throwing it in water, and that got me to drink water through this test that I was doing. Two and a half weeks after giving up diet soda and drinking my concoction that I made in my kitchen, that's when I lost 24 pounds, Uh, my skin cleared up, and my energy level skyrocketed. And that's when I really started to get curious about why this was, I mean, what, what happened? I mean, it's, it's a drink, it's not food, it's low calorie. All of these things were going through my head. I had not been a, you know, food expert, a few food executive or drink executive, soda executive either uh, prior to, Taking a couple of years off, I was an executive at a company called America Online, where I was uh, there early. And I had launched the e-commerce and shopping at America Online. I was running their partnerships program. So I was responsible for kind of building a mini mall, um, dealing with lots of uh, vendors and and retailers such as J. Crew and And the Gap and LL Bean, et cetera, and so that was really when I, uh, you know, again thought that when I was going to go back to work after taking a couple of years off, I certainly I was a tech executive. Why wouldn't I go back into tech? I was successful. I was, you know, had a big fancy title. All of these things that seemed like I was a natural to stay in that industry. But the problem was that I was. Not sort of satisfying my curiosity for learning, and and that's when you know I stumbled upon this problem that I had and a fix for it. And I thought, how hard would it be to launch a beverage in in the store? And and uh, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur too, because I, people always ask me, "Did you know you were going to be an entrepreneur?" or was this all the the plan the whole time i'm like no i i was just trying to fix this problem for myself and have the convenience of picking up a bottle of of a drink that i could buy ready made at the store i i never really thought about it even as a company but when i really thought about it after talking to a bunch of people uh, you know about my own sort of mini journey here in discovery that's when i thought gosh, if I could develop a product that could help millions of people worldwide enjoy water, that'd be pretty darn cool career. So that's how it began.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's go back in in time a little bit. I want to, I want to get some timelines on this. Um, So it sounds like you, you went to uh, ASU. Is that where you went to college? That's where I went. Okay. Yeah. I spent some time in Arizona. I lived there for, for about seven years. Um, We were Ah. down in Tucson. So University of Arizona, that's, uh, that's mm-hmm. where my dad actually taught school. So mm. um, right but lo- love Arizona, actually love the weather in Arizona. People don't realize how, how nice it is for most of the year. You know, they just think about the heat during the summer, but the rest of the year is absolutely amazing. Totally. Okay. And so right out of school, um, you went to Time Magazine. Is that right? Was that your first job out of school?
0: I did. I was a journalism major and mm-hmm. had a minor in uh, finance. And so I actually wanted to, I knew I wanted to write, but I didn't uh, I didn't know how I would do that. And, uh, you know, there weren't any jobs that I could find in the magazines. Like I'd look in the little masthead and try and figure out, okay, are there any jobs here in Arizona? I'm sure there were, but for me, just being a college student, not, not really understanding where I would go find these jobs, That's when everything had New York in the masthead. So I decided Mm. I'm going to move to New York and go find a job. And uh, I really appreciated Fortune Magazine because taking my finance classes, finance was really my hardest subject. For me, it just didn't come naturally. Writing came very naturally. Um, Finance did not. But just by reading Fortune Magazine, I felt like I could really put it into... um, you know, the right frame of mind in my own mind, um, to be able to understand so many different concepts in finance that frankly, you know, the dots eventually connected there too. Once I started figuring out that I could read fortune and get kind of my head in the game and really get some general understanding of how things, uh, sort of fall into different scenarios. And so I thought about that would be my dream job. Uh, but when I, when I showed up in New York and went to one of the chapters in the book talks about I showed up at the HR department, uh, they didn't actually have any job openings. And that's when I said, well, is there anything else in the building? I mean, I'm here. So maybe I can get a job doing something something else. So I did. I went to uh, Time Magazine and uh, worked on circulation. I didn't even know what circulation was when I took the job. I just liked the person that I had interviewed with and I figured <laughs> I'll, I'll learn, uh-huh. right? I didn't know circulation was kind of the, uh, the the blow-in insert cards that go in magazines that fall out. Um, and, you know, not sort of the sexiest uh, job in, in the world, but man i I look back on those years and the stuff that I learned around pricing and around just you know everything that I think about today that has really helped me think about direct to consumer, uh, which is over fifty percent of our business for hint. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of that stems back to those early learnings of, you know, circulation and subscriptions and loyalty and lifetime value. All of that language was going on in the early nineties in the magazine industry. So um, really grateful and thankful. And, you know, like I said, just another example where the dots eventually connect, you think, you know, I'm here, what the heck am I doing here? How did I get here? And, I look back on those years as, uh, you know, really instrumental to what I'm doing today.
1: And then uh, after that, you went to CNN for a couple of years. And uh, and then after that's where you uh, ended up at AOL. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. Well, I, I went, I was recruited out of, out of time to go to CNN. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Actually, I didn't know it then when I was there, but I learned a ton about culture. I mean, going from a very buttoned up, you know, very blue blood uh, environment at time to Ivy League. You know, all that was going on to um, CNN, where uh, the founder was still there and was operating there. And Ted Turner was still running around the office with a suit and cowboy boots. I had never even seen that in Arizona. (laughs) And it was, you know, it was wild. It was it was a lot of fun and a lot of fun to watch. Um, and a lot to learn as well. And then actually I I moved out to Silicon Valley because I was engaged and my husband was graduating from law school and he wanted to find a uh, firm that was doing technology law. And this was in the, you know, early, it was 1994. um, There were Some tech companies that were talking about some of the stuff that he was talking about around, you know, who owns the rights to uh, jcrew.com. And it just wasn't clear back in that 1994 and before. So he was, um, the stuff he was talking about, many of the New York firms that he was interviewing with understood, but they really also saw that his passion and he knew his passion was really to get into technology law. Um, and IP stuff, but again, nobody was really doing it. So we figured that we would come out to Silicon Valley and, you know, maybe it's just for a couple of years. And then eventually we'd end up back in New York and that was 26, a little over 26 years ago. We're still in San (laughs) Francisco. And, uh, but yeah, so we, we came out and, uh, he did get a job with a firm and starting out doing technology law. And I was trying to figure out if I was going to stay with CNN or if I was going to do something else. And I had, for me, Silicon Valley in the Bay Area was all about, um, I mean, the only person that I sort of associated this part of the country had been here once prior to actually moving here was this guy, Steve Jobs. I had as I mentioned earlier, I was a journalism major and I had a um, Macintosh computer when I was in college because it was a huge upgrade from those typewriters and the whiteout that I would stick on the and get on the keys. And, you know, I'd spend a while with my toothbrush trying to get the white stuff off of, you know, those were the days, right? So I was, uh, I had the Macintosh and I knew he was up here somewhere and I couldn't figure out how I was going to actually get a role at, at Apple, but I stumbled upon uh, this little startup that was actually spun out of Apple. That was a Steve Jobs idea that was called To Market. And uh, it had been a project inside of Apple and they were doing this thing called CD-ROM shopping. And when I was at CNN, people were just starting to talk about broadband. And I mean, we were still on dial up where, you know, for those of you who... Kind of remember th- this conversation. I mean, we were lucky if um, you know the speed of the computer was you know was slow, ninety six hundred baud modem maybe. And I remember you know, those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'd fight with your uh, brother or sister about like, don't get on the phone because I'm in a chat room. Like you'd get cut <laughs> off, right? You know, yep. be, They'd kick you this off. is yep. yeah, this is what happened. And so those were those were the days. So basically, uh, this idea was that that steve had was to take all these graphics and throw them on a disc and you uh put the disc into the computer and then uh you know the consumer doesn't know that you don't have the right speed on your computer they just know that they're supposed to just stick the disc in and uh he Said that if the graphics are sitting on a disk and then you tell the consumer to stick it in and upgrade, then you're it's on your hard drive now, and you just as long as you have enough memory. I mean, that's that's the most important thing. So uh, I was like, that's really really interesting, and of course, I love catalog shopping. I love you know retail shopping, and so wow, that sounds amazing. Maybe I'll just cold call this little company. And I saw guy who was their head of marketing, I saw his name on something. So I said, what the heck, I'm just going to give him a call and, and see what happens and, and, uh, offered to take him to lunch. It's so funny. I mean, I, I remember those days fondly because, uh, I ended up going to lunch with this guy and, and he said, uh, so, you know, what piqued your interest? And I said, well, I really like shopping and I'm kind of thinking about the next, you know, evolution of, of, you know cable and." how does it merge with computers? And, um, uh, he, and I said, I used to, you know, work at CNN and he's, um, he's like, what'd you do at CNN? And I mean, you know, I was still pretty junior there. And I didn't even matter what I did at both CNN or time. I mean, it was just the idea that I was working for, you know, these iconic brands, and um, mm. which is, you know something that my dad always said it's just like jumping in and working for a brand it can be you know an old brand it can be a new brand that is buzzy but just the idea of working for a brand it and and also having a founder around um there's just a different feel for that and that and you you'll have stories about it and people will know it and i certainly saw that when i started you know interviewing in the Bay Area. I mean, they, they want to know what Ted Turner was like, and they were like, Oh, really? He wears like cowboy boots with a suit. I mean, just silly conversations like that. But then after I was sharing some of my own experiences, they, uh, there was, you know, five guys that had worked at Apple and, and who were in this office. And they said, would you want to, work with us and you could do business development. You could go out to, you know, the retailers and the catalogers and talk to them about putting their catalog on, on the disc. And I, I was like, me? Like, what, what would I be doing? I mean, wow, that sounds amazing. And they said, sure. Like, if you think you can contribute, I mean, we'd love to have you. And, and, uh, so I figured if it didn't work out, what's the worst that can happen? I can always leave. I mean, you know, and eventually maybe they'll find me out that I have no idea how to do it. I remember saying, I have no real idea about how to do this. And they said, none of us do. We're all just figuring it out. We're writing. The rules, like the lessons for going forward, and I've had so many people, by the way, reach out to me uh, after reading my book, saying, "Wow, like history, and from 1995 through you know 2000. I mean, there was a lot that was done during that time that we can all learn from. So, so that yeah. was the yeah, that was the time, and and basically after a little shy of a couple of years, uh, one of our investors, we were. I was pretty you know, successful at setting up many of these relationships with a lot of the catalogers. And so one of our investors, America online said, Hey, can you help us build ours as well? And so I sort of, you know, figured they were one of our investors and sure, why not? And so um, eventually they acquired us then and asked me to run this button called shopping. And uh, I became mm-hmm. the youngest vice president at America online. And, uh, one of the few females at, at that level. And it was great. I mean, it was super exciting. I was, uh, the, the one thing that I didn't like was that I was traveling so much and I had a young family starting in 99 that was, uh, that, you know, I missed frankly. And, and it was, um it was, it was, An interesting time because as I shared with so many people, while I was really excited that I was, you know, having this great career and it was exciting and I was learning a lot. I, you know, the idea that I also wanted to be a mom and I also wanted to spend some time with my family. And I felt like that piece of my life was a little out of control. I had three kids under the age of four back in San Francisco. The idea of taking a break, I think was, There was a lot of pressure, frankly, from, you know, probably on myself um, that I put on myself, but also, uh, you know, just friends and colleagues saying, what are you doing? Like, don't get off the train right now. I mean, this is, you know, this is your time. And I said, "Eh," you know, if you all believe that I did a great job, why is it so risky that I want to just take a break for a couple of years? I'll be back. And I really did believe that I was going to get back into tech until I had, you know, this idea for a problem that I was solving in my own life that I really cared about.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, lot, lots to unpack there, but one of the things that, that, um, I keep hearing you say is, um, you know, just trying new things, taking the risk, um, you know, from the time that you, uh, you got your job at, uh, at time magazine. Um, and then even this, you know, uh, I guess I'll sell, I guess I'll sell, um, uh, catalog space. I I, I assume that's what, that's what it was that you're selling, but I guess I'll do it. I'll figure it out along the way. Is that, is that kind of been your attitude, you know, from, from when you were a child? Or do you think that's something that you've developed along the way? Um, just this ability to try new things without really knowing how to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that there was, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've unpacked it over the years, um, particularly as I've been writing this book, but I think being the youngest of five kids, um, my parents were the oldest of any of my friends' parents. Um, my parents were 40 when they had me. So it was, uh, you know, I think in many ways they were tired and um, I had brothers and sisters who all were pretty active, wild, however you want to, you know, talk about it. And so I think for me, it was, I I really was kind of put in a position where, uh, you know, I, I needed to figure a lot of stuff out and that I would you know, come and definitely check in with my parents and let them know kind of what I was doing. But I was, um, you know, mature beyond my years as most like fourth or fifth kids are, I guess, you know, it was just, I, I sort of knew, you know, don't get in trouble. Like you, you've got to go out and uh, in our house, like go and get a job. So I was babysitting pretty early or, setting up my own day, ca- day camp during the summers. I mean, I always had something going on and I had no idea really what I was doing when I started them. Um, but I, I think more than anything, what I realized is that just by doing something that I was... Super interested in, and maybe that was an interest of the moment. Um, but it was that's really what motivated me that I would you know get up in the morning and I'd be thinking about it, and then I would just go and try it and do it. And I think so often people don't stop and kind of live that way. Um, I I think I was doing it for a long time because I thought we have a choice whether you know we decide to you know, go out and do something that we don't want to do, or we go out and do something that we can go have fun doing. I, I, I would always find and opt for those things that I would have, you know, at least a little bit of a good time doing, but most of the time a really good time doing it.
1: Hmm. That's great. So I, I want to fast forward to um, something that you said earlier w- when you had the idea for Hint and you started asking yourself the question of, you know, could I, could I start a, a beverage brand? Um, what, what are some of the things that you did immediately after you, you had that thought? You know, how did you validate that, you know, this is something that you could actually produce and, um, and that there was a market for it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think one of the things that I think about a lot is that if we overthink things, if we, uh, you know, if if we think, oh, I'm going to go take on Big Soda or I'm going to go take on the big guys, then we won't actually go do ever, right? And or most of the time, I think that that's really that we set up our own walls to prevent ourselves from from going out and doing it. And I think instead, if you if you if you kind of stop yourself even before you overthink things and just go try and take a few steps to actually think if that's exactly what you want to do on your journey and and or not right i think that that's the most important thing and and if you get those little wins under your belt early i think it's very helpful right i i was in a situation where i was uh going into my local whole foods and tapped somebody on the shoulder and I said, Hey, do you work here? And, uh, you know, it's kind of tough in some of these stores cause it's not like they're wearing a uniform or something. Right. <laughs> and so yeah. I, um, you know, asked somebody who was working at whole foods, uh, you know, do you work here? And I said, Hey, i I've got this idea for a product. It's an unsweetened flavored water with fruit in it. I've been making it in my kitchen. How do I get a product on the shelf? And he said, Oh, well, we have a program at Whole Foods that where we is the product produced locally. And I thought, yeah, my kitchen. And uh, (laughs) I mean, I had no idea. And he said, Oh, well, yeah. I mean, we have a program where we try and uh, you know, source from like 10% of our products at, at least we'd like them to come from local suppliers. And so I thought I'm local. I mean, that sounds great. And I said, so who do I talk to? And he said, well, you have to develop the product first and you need a UPC number and you need a name. So it was at that point when I thought, okay, I'm going to write all those things down and I'm going to just start moving forward. Again, I didn't sit there and like run around and tell everybody I'm starting a beverage. And in fact, most of my friends were, you know, in the tech industry, I knew had some friends from my kid's school who were, uh, who were, you know, not working at the time, but it just was, it it just was not, I don't know. It just wasn't like the conversation that I would bring up with people. Instead, when I had some downtime, when my kids were at preschool or they were, you know, with their babysitter, that's when I thought I'm going to start thinking about it and you know, looking on searching around, but then also calling around and trying to see if I could get any traction on it. And so I think like, that's, that's such an important piece for so many people. Because again, if you, if you think too much about the end, you'll never get past even, you know, the beginning or, or even a couple of steps and really appreciate kind of, you know, the journey and the progress along the way. Again, I love learning too. And I felt like I had fallen into, you know, almost this class and how to develop a product. And it was exciting. And I was in control. I was the teacher who was, you know, kind of forcing the prompts on, on myself to go and say, okay, these are the steps. And, you know, and to, I mean, thinking back on it too, I mean, in, it was exhilarating, but it was also exhausting. I won't lie. I mean, it's it's you know when you're learning, and even when you're really excited about it, you just the most important thing is not only to enjoy it, but all enjoy what you're learning. But also, you know, you have to be really aware along the way because maybe you're going to make a mistake or a misstep, and you don't want to make that twice, right? Because that's kind of a waste of time. Sure. Uh, so you're so you've got to you know. I would catch myself going left and then realizing, okay, well, maybe that's not exactly the right direction. So maybe I veer right, or maybe I go work on something else and think on this a little bit more and come back. So I I started, you know, journaling and, and uh, trying to talk to as many people as possible. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, I felt like I would reach out to some beverage executives to friends of friends would introduce me and sometimes they'd talk to me, but a lot of times they wouldn't because I didn't look like the profile of somebody that you would, you know, give time to. So I was a tech executive, never had any experience in the beverage industry. But I also, especially when I launched the product, I had four kids under the age of six. I mean, I was not the profile of the entrepreneur that you wanted to invest any of your time on, That it looked unlikely that I looked like just you know, this mom with an idea who, you know, shops at Whole Foods. I mean, it just, I was not, you know, that was not the profile of the, of the person that, you know, really anyone would think was going to go out and do it. But, uh, but I, I was, uh, determined. Um, I think again, that it was, a you know, this was a problem that I felt really passionate about. And so I just would, try and tap on any shoulder I could for anybody who seemed like, you know, they kind of had some sort of possible connection or knowledge for me. And uh, sometimes that was in the chip aisle. Sometimes it was in the flower aisle. And I just kept learning along the way.
1: So you mentioned um, learning from, from some of your mistakes, you know, so that you don't repeat them. Um, are there any particular mistakes, maybe, that you made pretty early on that that you learned some valuable lessons from?
0: You know, I think some of the some of the early mistakes. Thinking back on them, and and again, I often think about mistakes as a way. Uh, you know, the the key thing is is that making mistakes is fine, right? It's it's making mistakes that maybe cost you a lot of time and money, um, and if like that's the part that, that you really regret. Otherwise, I think that it, I always felt like those mistakes really helped me to learn more, uh, along the way. And were really kind of there for some kind of purpose and still do f- to this day. Uh, but you know, I think listening to when we could get Thoughts and advice from industry experts in the beverage industry. Um, I would, you know, hang on every word that they would say because thinking, well, they have lots of experience. They must know. But the difference between what I was doing and maybe what they had experience in, while it looked like the same beverage, beverage, right? It was they, I was doing something that most beverage executives Execs hadn't done, which was not only launching a new product into the market and launching a new company, but also launching an entirely new category. So innovating an entirely new category, which was called unsweetened flavored water. And nobody was doing that. So here I was talking to beverage executives and saying, hey, I've got this idea to, you know, get my product on the shelf just like yours but i don't want any sweeteners in my product and i want to use real stuff and also it doesn't have any preservatives and every one of these beverage executives including you know the people that would bottle the product would say uh that's impossible you can't use like real fruit and then uh not use preservatives i mean that's just that's just not done and me coming from a different industry and saying and and asking the question why not? Was, I mean, the, the number of people who would look at me like, and, and just say, because, and the one thing I remember growing up is that when, you know, my parents used to say, uh, I'd say, Hey, can I go to that party on Friday night? And they'd say, no. And I'd say, why? And they'd say, because, and I'd be like, ah, okay, I got to keep working on this and find another angle. So I kept Mm -hmm. hearing the same thing in the beverage industry and that they'd say, well, you can't do preservatives. And I mean, you have to do preservatives in your, in your drink. And I'd say, why? And they'd say, because, and I'm like, well, that's not really an answer, right? That's, that's a, an opinion, but that's not a, that's not a reason why. And so I kept digging and digging and digging. And, and again, you hear a lot of no's, you hear a lot of people getting annoyed, right? That they're like, you know, I don't know something. And so I should kick her out of the office. They didn't really kick me out, but you know what I mean? Like they were, they were like, okay, when she leaves, we'll never invite her back again. But then Mm -hmm. there were a few people who would really kind of catch their words and say, gosh, I don't know. No one's ever asked me that question. Wow. Did, you know, did you used to work at Pepsi or Coke? And I'd say, no, I'm, I mean, I'm a tech executive. That's why I'm asking you all these questions. And they'd say, oh, that's really interesting. And so, again, I think that the biggest mistake I made early on was thinking that somebody with lots of experience would solve all my problems, right? That they would know all the answers when instead the people I think that actually come up with the answers are the ones that think differently, are the ones that are coming from a different industry, that are willing to be vulnerable and show that they don't have all the answers. And so they're asking questions because they're curious and inquisitive and, and all of that in order to really grow. And that was that was me.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it outlines the, the, some of the, the benefits or some of the advantages of being an outsider. And being totally new to an industry, totally. Um, and then, you know, you also remind me of something that I hear a lot of uh, uh, Silicon Valley, you know, tech executives saying a lot right now, which is thinking from first principles, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of just accepting the status quo, you know, really kind of digging in and asking some of those same questions, you know, why? Why is it this way? You know, has it ever been done in a different way? Um, that, that's really interesting. Um, so you you got into this program, I presume, with uh, with Whole Foods uh, early on. Um, was that how you got some of your initial traction? Uh, did that program kind of launch you or, or what, what happened after you did that?
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It wasn't really a, like an official program. Like they never said, oh, you know, you're number eight in our program or anything. But we did get in and that's probably how we got in. I don't know since the acquisition from Amazon whether or not Whole Foods even has that program anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. but we, but that's how we, I think we initially sort of slid in there. It was a little, um, you know, frankly, it was, uh, it, it, you know, looking back on it, I mean, there were, it was pretty bare bones and, you know, the, the early days of, of even Whole Foods, some of the products that were launched on the shelf were probably made in somebody's kitchen, not just hints, you know, it was like, (laughs) it was, you know, pretty interesting. Some of the, uh, things that were almost straight out of a farmer's market. And sometimes, you know, that's just fine. Other times, you know, it's a, it's a little sketch, but it's, uh, it's definitely, um, you know, our story. And, and I think people always ask me and like, how, uh, how great was your product when, when you launched? I mean, it tasted good. Did it have problems? You bet. I mean, you know, it was, it was definitely not perfect. Um, something else that I often, share with aspiring entrepreneurs is, you know, perfection is overrated. And, you know, it's very rare that your product will be perfect, even if you think that it's awesome and excellent, and you get it on the shelf, things like, you know, once it's for sale, and you actually get it on the shelf, things like the lighting in the store, or maybe in our case, we were placed next to a brightly colored vitamin water that, you know, really, really, Um, diminished the consumer's ability to actually see our product. We had a clear label when we first launched that we thought, oh, the whole drink is clear. Everything's got to be clear. It'll be great. And, you know, once we changed to white labels, it was like game-changing for sales because the consumer could see it. So, again, I think that was also a big, you know, epiphany. I mean, just a reminder, coming from tech, I had never dealt with, I guess there are some tech products that are physical products, but I had never dealt with a physical product. I was always dealing in bits and bytes and even in media, right? Like I was never really dealing with a physical product and dealing with the physical product. Again, I had, I didn't overthink it. I just decided to go do it. But as I've shared with so many entrepreneurs, it's, it's really different. I mean, it, it is, uh, you know, definitely something that you can't underestimate actually, you know, getting a physical good from point A to point B, and you know, in many cases dealing with retailers too, not just downloading, you know, software or something like that. So it's a it was a if I would have overthought it, I think I probably wouldn't have done it. But <laughs> instead I just decided, let me just go forward. And you know, going back to something that I talked about earlier, you know, when I was taking a break to be a, a parent. I, I just kept thinking, you know, what is the worst that can happen? I mean, if I go and try and launch a product at Whole Foods, I mean, maybe a few people would want to have me over, you know, for a dinner party and I could share my story and everybody would get a laugh and they'd learn a few things and then I could go back into tech or I would have a huge appreciation for, you know, like my my tech career as well and how I had been in this crazy other thing that I was trying to do and and also an appreciation for actually running a company i mean at every step along the way i kept thinking okay this is really hard maybe it's not going to work but you know i'm going to learn a lot in this process. And I have, I mean, the last 16 years are, are just, you know, priceless in terms of what I've learned good and bad. I mean, it's, and, and lots of things about myself, a lot of things that I, you know, definitely appreciate just going through a journey of, of discovery on, you know, what, I think so many people think of themselves as a tech executive or, you know, a Wall Street executive or even a founder. And I think that there are just so many different aspects on, you know, all of those spectrums too, where, you know, what do you really like about certain things and what are you capable of? I think that you really learn, especially when you don't, you know, don't have anybody to kind of uh, answer to, but yourself and, and. Especially in those early days.
1: As we uh, get ready to wrap here, uh, Kara, I wanted to dig in a little bit more about your book. Um, so you wrote Undaunted, um, and you released that what in September? Is that right?
0: Uh, October, end of October. October,
1: okay. And um, you know, I want to understand just a little bit uh, about why uh, you you wrote this book. Um, it's called Overcoming You Know Doubts and Doubters, um, and uh, you know why why this subject and and why why did you write it?
0: Yeah. So I wrote the book because I, you know, really felt through speaking to entrepreneurs and frankly, over the last five years, I was doing a ton of public speaking and the Q and A at the end of uh, the session would really, those would almost be my prompts for what I would ultimately go write about. But I, I started journaling and in those you know, journals, I would, I would force myself when people would ask me questions, particularly ones that I had never been asked before, I would write like three examples and I would just sit there and write and write and write. And I felt like when I would share those stories with audiences or, you know, as I said, one-on-one with entrepreneurs that, there was inspiration and power from those stories. And and the, the uh, more challenging um, what I had been through, uh, the better people felt. I guess to some extent, misery is company, right? It's mm-hmm. just, you know, people would hear, okay, well, she's still smiling. She got through it and here's how she navigated it. Um, and so I thought if I could actually get these notes out to people, maybe there's people that don't get to, go to these, you know, places that I'm speaking at or inside corporations that have asked me to come and talk. And, you know, maybe I could actually get something out. I never even called it a book. In fact, I have a few friends who are authors and I was asking one how I bind my notes together. I wasn't even calling it a book. And she said, you mean write a book, publish a book? And I I said, no, I don't have time to publish a book. I'm, an, I'm a CEO of a company. I, I mean, when would I have time? And when she saw that I had 600 pages in the journal um, that I had written, she said, uh, you know, you you actually have a book here maybe you have two books and you just need an editor who's going to help you kind of take it down a bit and uh but you know i think that the the greatest thing for me about this book is look if you're an entrepreneur it definitely has a lot for you if you're a female entrepreneur if you're a you know, food or beverage entrepreneur. I mean, there's there's tons in there. The most exciting thing for me personally about this book and probably the most surprising is the number of people who have read the book, who have never been an entrepreneur, who have, you know, many of them are sitting in C-suite roles or even some of them retired, where when they're reading my story and they're hearing about know, in their mind, the risk that I took, the fun that I had, they're thinking, why the heck didn't I do that? Why didn't I go and do something that I was really passionate about that maybe I thought I had an idea to go solve a problem? I mean, what's the worst that could happen? And I think that If I can actually help people to go and learn and take chances and really, you know, live life and and have a more fulfilling journey, very similar to, you know, what I've done with Hint by helping people to live a healthier lifestyle and drink more water or have better sunscreen, if I can help people to kind of get unstuck, to maybe know that you can break down the walls, you can go over the walls to, you know, figure out what those things that you're really afraid of that maybe you're thinking, I'm not going to do that because that's too scary. I don't have the right experience, whatever it is that, you know, if I can do it, they can do it too, right? That is what people are getting out of the book and, and not just women, uh, men as well, that that is really, I think, you know, so motivating for me and uh, very, very exciting.
1: Well, one of the, the reasons that we uh, we do this podcast is because we we agree that that you know more people should take some of these risks. More people have you know great ideas for products, uh, physical products, in their head that they just need to bring out there and, and share with the world. And I think that there's just never been a better time uh, to to launch a physical product. Um, there's just lots of lots of advantages to doing it now. Um, so let's let's just uh, start wrapping up here. What what's new for Hint? You know, what what's something that's on the horizon that you are excited about that that you'd love to share with us?
0: Well, it's you know it's been a nutty year for everybody, but we had already launched our direct to consumer business, um, you know, a little over eight years ago. Now, initially through Amazon, and then uh, we launched our own site when we really wanted that relationship, that direct relationship with the consumer, and you know, being able to look at data and really have that relationship, even bigger relationship with the consumer. And when, uh, when the pandemic hit, that's when, you know, we really realized that there were, um, huge opportunities that, that we had to be able to service this consumer. So that business tripled in the last, Mm. uh, what, 15 months and it was, um, it was big already, but it tripled. And, you know, the overall business, we just went in actually at the beginning of the pandemic, we went into Walmart and Sam's Club and Aldi, um, which any beverage executive would tell you that is crazy to take on all three of those giants in, you know, at the same time and, and really try and, um, you know, fulfill orders on those because that will end badly. But we did it. We did it successfully, even at the, you know beginning of the pandemic, and then we got a phone call from Costco uh, that asked us to go chain wide they were They recognized um, that they had met with us many times over the years. We had done a few little things with them but um, but anyway they they were really interested in us because our entire supply chain is in the u s and many of the beverage companies that they were dealing with were. Uh, you know challenged because they were t- they were not getting their aluminum cans that they export from China or whatever, so their shelves were empty because they were you know dealing with supplier issues, and so we ended up going chain wide and Costco and so huge growth for the company because of you know the relationships with so many of those retailers. but I think you know for us i think we're we 're taking a breath at the moment and and really kind of looking at frankly, how else we can get better. And, and on, you know, the supply chain on just, I, th- I think that that's something that tech really frankly taught me um, that it doesn't stop when you're good, right? It's, it's actually, that's the time that you should be stopping and saying, how can we actually get better? What can we do in all aspects of the company to grow, but also just operate? more efficiently. And so um so that's what what we're doing right now and it's uh, it's a good exercise
1: for sure. Well that's awesome. So I've got four uh, concluding questions. This is a quick fire round so just tell me, you know, the first thing that comes to mind. Um what's what's one tool or resource that that you feel has been very helpful to you? Zoom. <laughs> I think everybody would say that right now. <laughs> although although we're all kind of sick of it too. Yeah. Um, so What is a, what is a book that, that you could recommend to people besides your own, besides Besides your own.
0: Besides my own. Actually, I just finished a book that was quite good called Superman's Not Coming um, by Aaron Brockovich. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's uh, about something that is near and dear to my heart, which is the, uh, the crisis in the U.S. around our water supply and uh, around not having clean water supply. And so things like PFAS and some of the other things that are going on. And I've been doing some work in Washington around this topic, but she's been actually doing some work um, at more of the local level. So I was particularly interested in it. And clearly it's something that no matter what industry you're in as a human, you should know more about what's in your water and what you're putting into your own body and your family's body.
1: What is uh, one piece of advice that you would give to your 21-year-old self?
0: I would say know that things happen for a reason. And sometimes you have to trust the journey and uh, recognize that there are things that are out of your control and you do the best you can and
1: keep moving forward. And last, um, who's one person in your field of work that you would love to take to lunch? Somebody that maybe you look up to
0: love to take to lunch. I've had lots of opportunities to do that more than I've uh, ever been able to uh, imagine. Um, Yeah, maybe
1: somebody that you've already taken to lunch, you know, that, that might be a good one.
0: Yeah. You know, somebody who's kind of become a mentor to me actually that I, I, didn't go to lunch with him. Actually, I have had lunch with him, but I didn't go to lunch with him, but actually met him sitting next to him at a dinner. And I, as my husband said, you're probably the only one in the America and the world that didn't know who this person was, but, (laughs) uh, Jamie Diamond from JP Morgan chase. And, uh, and he has been a huge mentor to me and on many, many levels. And, uh, and I think what I've really appreciated about him, obviously he's just, you know, probably pretty much running the money in the world. I mean, as, as I always think, you know, and he just really understands it. And I, I love sitting down with people who just create a yin and yang, right. Where they're not, we're not all talking about the same thing. We're not all, you know, feeling like, uh, feeling like we're talking to each other, right? That there's a, um, that there's definitely learning going on. So I think maybe I'm a little different in some ways and that I really try and surround myself with people that are, um, that I'm going to learn something from. And sometimes that can be a little scary because you sort of put yourself in, people are like, oh my God, weren't you freaked out? Like the first time that you started talking to them, people are human, right? And I think that the more, um, you know, they, they can get to know you and you can be vulnerable, then what you realize is that, you know, there's an appreciation because you're also probably not somebody that they get to talk to that, you know, as, as much. And, you know, I think that that would be somebody that I'd love to sit down with, with everything going on in the world. I think he's probably got some interesting perspectives, particularly around, you know, the markets and business and what comes next.
1: Right. No, that's a great one. Well, um, we're at the end here. I just wanted to, to give you an opportunity to give any parting um, advice to those that may be grinding it out right now in the world of physical products, um, and, and maybe even those that that like you are unsure whether they want to start a physical product brand. You know, maybe they've got an idea and they want to go to market. What what advice could you could you give to somebody in that uh, position?
0: Yeah, I think trying to figure out how you can stay scrappy and and really kind of prove out the concept. If you think about it like a puzzle and, you know, try and figure out what you can do. I, I'm always about, even when you have a little more money to, to play with, like, how can you really prove it all out, like on the cheap, right? And not go and spend a ton of money to go and figure out, like, is this actually going to work? Um, because I feel like you learn a lot of... Along the way, Um, and and again, you may end up, you know, going in a little bit other direction. But it's almost like it's recognizing that it's not as risky, right? If you go and just take a few steps, right? You can always go back to what you were doing before, or you know, if you're just starting out too. I mean, why not go and take these risks now to go and learn, you know, aspects of what you might want to do, and then you know, there's no clear direction that people used to say, go start at a big company and then go to, you know, a small company and do your own thing. Now I think, you know, it really is an individual decision. And I think Mm -hmm. there's no one answer to go do it. You could go, I know people who have gone and done startups and then decided that, you know, they sort of missed the skills, the mentorship, whatever. And then they went in that direction. So again, I think you just have to move forward and don't stay complacent. I think that that would be my biggest advice is that figure out how do you take a few steps
1: forward and do something. Yeah. Yeah. That's very good. Um, Well, uh, Kara, I appreciate it. Um, You have been, been a great guest and I I love your story. And I think that you've given us a lot of great wisdom here. If somebody wanted to connect with you or follow you, what's the best place for them to do that?
0: Yeah, all over social at Kara Golden with an I. I also have a podcast uh, called The Kara Golden Show, um, which uh, I bring on other founders and CEOs and get their stories. Uh, so it's, I hope you'll come and have a listen. There's some great ones on there. And uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to grab my book, Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, and maybe even uh, grab a case of hint too, if you haven't tried it or order from us online and, uh, yeah, lots of different activity in my direction.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. We'll make sure to link to all of that. Um, so I awesome. appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: All right. We'll see ya. The physical product movement podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for physical product movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle,